as we get into this third week um, of the series about prayer, that's what the series is all about, is prayer. And for us, we want to talk about, we kicked it off the last couple of weeks, we kicked it off with the, the purpose of prayer. This is where Pastor Shin led us and talked about the Lord's Prayer when Jesus taught us to pray. That the purpose of prayer is to glorify God, that it's all about bringing glory to the name of God. And so that is the purpose, the big overarching purpose of why prayer is this beautiful gift given to us to glorify Him. Last week we talked specifically about the engaging of prayer, the practice of prayer, okay? The practice of prayer is to align our hearts to His heart, right? It, it, it does far more about shifting us sometimes than it does about changing circumstances. It, it, does, it does a lot about changing who we are as we align our hearts to God's heart and then we live and walk in the authority that he's called us to live and walk in. And so that's, that's why we have this spiritual discipline, why we have this engagement of prayer. I love the way John says it. This is John in 1 John in his letters to the church, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John. He says it this way, just to help the church say, look, this is the confidence we have in approaching God. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And then he goes on to say, if he hears us, then and, and, and we know that he hears us, then we'll receive that. So he, he, this is John just saying, we have this kind of confidence. You see, hear that word. Confidence when we approach God, that if it's according to his will, which is a big, big word we're going to talk about today, we know that he hears us. So last week we gave you kind of this list, and we'll go back to it over the last few weeks, or in the next couple weeks, just how do we align our hearts with his and walk in that authority and we talked about the prayers that God answers, right? Always answers. And, and so, you know, to glorify God, to glorify his name, he answers those prayers. And if you're in, in agreement with the word of God, if you're in agreement with the Bible and the word of God, he answers those prayers. But you have to have that foundation. You have to know what the word of God says. For example, you can't come into your prayer time and say to God, hey, God, you know, I know and you know that you don't want any Christians to suffer. And then you go on to pray about how you'd like God to deal with, you know, get rid of this suffering. Because that's not what the Bible says, right? The Bible says we'll be pressed but not crushed. We will be persecuted but not abandoned. Does that make sense? Like, you've got to be in agreement with Scripture if you really want to see God engage and, and answer the prayers you're praying. You can't come in with a false notion that's not who God is. But then we have to surrender to His will. We're going to dive deep into that today and act, be actively engaged in the mission. Again, what the purpose of prayer is like, why, why do you need God to answer this prayer? Does it have anything to do with what he's called you to do in this earth? You know, like, are you, are you wanting you, are, are you really just wanting him to, to heal your physical ailments so that you can have just a little bit less trouble in getting to work and watching Netflix? Does that make sense? Like, is that what it's all about? Because he answers prayers that are tied to his mission and vision. I, I'll be honest, like, that's it. And when I hear people talk about, well, we just don't see, you know, the miracles and the signs and wonders, and we just don't see the things that we read about in Scripture, we just don't see it as much today. And I'm like, well, that's because we live lives for ourselves. You know? God doesn't need to do a miracle so that you can watch more Netflix. You're just going to do it. So you know, don't hear me judging. Just hear me understand, like, part of Part of understanding prayer in terms of our practice with engaging in prayer with God is that it's got to be linked and tied to the mission of spreading his fame and his name, that it's, got, it's the desire of our hearts to see him be known. And so as we've talked about that, I want to dive in today to another one of Jesus' 
prayers. We talked a little bit about that last week, and every week we're talking about a prayer of Jesus. And again, we, this is Palm Sunday. You already heard us talk about it. This is a great Sunday as we celebrate Palm Sunday, but we're kind of skipping all the way, really past Monday, Thursday, not past fully time-wise, but we're, we're kind of going after. He's already had Passover with the guys. He's already changed it up to communion and the Lord's Supper, and he's kind of talked about how things are happening and what's going to be happening and who's going to betray him. And this is after all of that. He goes to a place called the Garden of Gethsemane to pray, pray for us, to pray for himself. He, he has some great places we can re- see recorded what he prayed for. But here's where I want to kick off today. And don't forget, if you want to see the references, we're going to go through a lot of scripture references today. Here's where they're listed. They're on a card in front of you. Uh, hopefully right in front of you that you'll find a card with all the scripture points. This is just, this is just for you to have because as we roll through scripture pretty quickly, I want you to have a way to go back and look and see and maybe read more uh, of what's going on. Also, then the green, what's highlighted in green is what we ask our church to read together. So we're going to be reading a portion of God's Word together. If you need a Bible, we have a Bible out in the uh, breezeways there, but out by the doors, you, that's a free Bible to you. That's our gift to you. Uh, or you can look it up on your own Bible app or whatever you may have. So uh, that's coming up in a little bit. But let's look at this beginning part. This is, again, Jesus in the garden. That after he'd had dinner with the guys and, and gone through all of that, Jesus went into them to the, with the olive grove called Gethsemane. And he said, sit here while I go over there to pray. Jesus had intentionally kind of set this time aside to go have some time with his father. And he goes on a little bit later in verse 38. He says, he told them, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. You know, Jesus was experiencing a lot of human turmoil and emotion that, that, that I think many of us could, could equate to, but he he was really, again, like he was feeling that all, almost to the point of death, he was crushed with grief. And, and this is a common thing. This, he goes back three different times, and every time he goes back to them, this just happens to be the first time, he returned to the disciples and he found them, what's the word? Say it out loud. Yeah, he found them asleep. And he said, Peter, couldn't you watch with me even one hour? And poor guys, I don't know when they fell asleep, but it didn't matter if they fell asleep in 55 minutes. Too bad, right? Like he he came back three different times and they were asleep. And then Jesus says this. He says, keep watch and pray so that you will not give in to temptation for the spirit is willing, but the body is weak. And I think he was saying this for their benefit. You know, I don't want you guys to give in temptation. So so know that the spirit is willing, but the body is weak. But I also think this is just a reflection of what Christ himself was also praying praying through. And the reason we know that is because we go to Luke's gospel, there's a great account, a record of what he was praying about in the garden. And here's what we see in Luke 22. It says, Father, if you are willing, please take this cup of suffering away from me. Yet, I want your will to be done, not mine. And it goes on to say that an angel from heaven appeared to Jesus and strengthen him. And he prayed even more fervently. And he was in such agony of spirit that his sweat fell to the ground like great drops of blood. I, I want you to, but as we kind of set the foundation for where we're going today, I want you to understand this because if you don't get this, you're going to have a hard time really understanding that if Jesus himself, you know, 
had to deal with the same thing we're called to deal with in his humanity, Jesus prayed for both his suffering and for God's will. He prayed for both. Doesn't matter what version you read it in. Good old King James Version. You know, let this cup passeth from me. Right? Like, like doesn't matter what you read. Like, he was praying about, he was in his humanity, in, in the humanity of him. He was understanding what was getting ready to come. And his suffering and his pain of anguish, the, the anguish of spirit. And he was praying for God. God, if you're willing, if you can, let this cup pass from me. And he was also praying, but God, let your will be done. Not my will, but your will be done. And that's huge, right? So quick quick uh, survey for, the, for you guys. Did God answer Jesus' prayer? Yes or no? It's not a trick question. Go ahead. Did God answer his prayer? Yes. Did God keep him from suffering? No. But you said he just answered his prayer, right? All right. So this is the tension. This is the tension that I want to talk about that many, many, many Christians and followers of Christ kind of rub up against, and they have a false theology or a false idea that this tension is supposed to be resolved, this side of heaven, that this tension is supposed to be somehow clarified or managed or fixed, or we're given some sort of clues to navigate it and kind of make it work for our benefit. And, and there's lots of different churches with lots of different secondary theology that teach really bad stuff when it comes to this. But I'm going to talk about the tension that some of you might have felt when you pray for something, and you're praying to God for something really specific, big, bold prayers that he calls you to pray, and God doesn't seem to answer those prayers. Has anybody had any experiences like that? Yes? You know? I mean, have you ever prayed, have you ever been a part of a situation where this is, I'm just speaking personally, where you've been a part of a circle of people praying for someone's healing, and, and, and you've, seen, you've seen God heal people. And then you've also been a part of a same, you know, very similar circle of people praying for someone's healing, and not only did they not get healed, they got worse. You know, and then, and then you know, for us, we, we hit that tension, and we're like, I don't know, was, was this a super Christian? Was this you know, I mean, my charismatics, did they have enough faith in them? You know, did they have a prayer language and this person didn't? You know, was it secret sin? I mean, I'm a, I'm a recovering Baptist. Like, I got all sorts of things I can throw out in terms of why maybe a prayer didn't get answered or why it didn't. And, you know, you start kind of hitting this tension and you don't know how to go. And at the end of the day, what was the reality? The reality is that someone got healed and someone didn't. So how do I live in the tension as a follower of Christ? Because I was a part of both of those prayers. I was a part of that story. What happens when, the Bible tells us to pray these prayers for healing and signs and wonders and miracles, and yet God also tells us that he knows the day that we're going to die, right? He knows the day we're going to die. So what happens when, when the day that you're going to die, you happen to have a, a room full of faith-filled followers of Christ praying for you not to die? but you still die. Is that a problem for anybody else? Is anybody struggling with this? Or are you all super Christians and I, that's just me? All right, good. Bunch of liars. I mean, it's, it's this, and here's the deal. When most Christians begin to rub up against this tension, and again, some, some faiths kind of preach, you got to have more faith, you got to have a prayer language, you got to have this, you know, you can't have this. I mean, it's, they try to navigate this thing to, to help you just resolve the tension. And what it mostly happens 
is Christians get frustrated and they give up. And they end up with these just simple adolescent prayers. I mean, they're, they're adult in their body, but they are toddlers spiritually. Praying, you know, rub-a-dub-dub, thanks for the grub, and, you know, now I lay me down to sleep, you know, and praying for traveling mercies. And I mean, you just have these childish, rote prayers, and that's all you have in your life. And guys, that's not the prayer life that God has invited you into. And so we want to we want to get past those. We have to deal with this tension in order to continue to grow spiritually in our walk with God, but also to continue to grow in how we pray and how we understand this tension in our prayer. So we're going to do a quick deep dive into some scripture and just kind of talk about, again, some, some of the big things that we know because of what the Bible tells us, okay? We're going to walk through two or three examples. This is, um, this is from Psalm 115. The psalmist says, our God is in heaven and he does whatever pleases him, right? I'll be honest, I kind of like this about God, right? I kind of like this, you know, it's kind of like, you know, what is he doing? Well, he does whatever pleases him. Well, I didn't like it. Well, he didn't ask you your opinion, you know, like I kind of like that about God, but I'll be honest, I'm, I'm on the flip side of that sometimes when God's going to do whatever pleases him and I like it unless it's something that doesn't please me. He goes on, this is, in, um, th- this is Job's story. If you know, jo- I can't preach Job's story, but Job gets to the end of some horrendous suffering and, and towards the end when he's talking with God, and he does acknowledge. He says, look, God, I know that you can do anything you want, and no one can stop you, all right? As a matter of fact, in the, in the NIV, it says, no purpose or plan of yours can be thwarted. Love that word. No purpose or plan of yours can be thwarted. And again, I'm all for it. I could preach that and pray that. Yeah, God's plan can't be thwarted. Let's go. Unless his plan is different than my plan. And then I have tension. Then I struggle. Here's here's another one. I don't know if you've ever experienced this. This is from the psalmist again. Lord, you've examined my heart. And you know everything about me. Right? You know when I sit down. You know when I stand up. You know my thoughts. Even when I'm far away, I can't get away from you. You see me when I travel and when I rest at home, you know everything that I do. (laughs) You know what I'm going to say, even before I say it, Lord. Well, if you know everything I'm going to say, then why am I praying? Anybody else ever feel that way? Like, if you already know what I'm going to say, if you already know everything I've done and I'm going to do, like, if none of this is a surprise for you, like, what, how do I resolve that? Why am I... Why am I still invited to pray? Well, we have to understand the tension. And what we see in Scripture is true. Look, God's will is greater than our will. It's just the way it is. Do we have a will, a free will? The answer is yes. Why? Because we were created in the image of God. We're the only ones created in the image of God. Did you know that? Everything else the Bible tells us was created, and just by doing what they're doing, they glorify God and they point to Him. Isn't that awesome? They get a free pass. Everything else is glorifying God. Stars, heavens, ants, mosquitoes, which I don't understand, glorifying God. Okay? We were given the will to choose to glorify God or ourselves because we were made in the image of God. So our will does matter. 
okay, just hear me say that. Our will, he gave us our will for a reason. We're responsible for the things we choose and don't choose to do. We are, we're going to hold the, we're going to be held the consequences of the things we do and don't do. I mean, that's, that's our will. But at the end of the day, somehow in the grand sovereignty and foreknowledge of God, our will doesn't seem to mess with God's will. Our will still falls under his authority and his sovereignty. Okay, and if, listen, if you, if, this is your, this, if you really go with me today, your brain's going to hurt just a little bit. I just want you to know, okay, because it is. All right, it's just, it's just not, it's not, it's, we're never going to get to the full understanding of this. We're going to touch it. We're going we're to be able to experience what he can, what we can experience in terms of understanding. But God's will was always going to trump our will. That's it. But yet he still invites us to pray these big, bold, beautiful prayers of faith. This is what Jesus said. He says, you don't have, if you don't have enough faith, or you don't have enough faith, because he's talking to his disciples about a specific moment, he says, but yet I, yet I tell you, even the truth, if you had the faith as small as a mustard seed, like it doesn't even take that much. If you just had this fraction of trust in me, you could say to a mountain, this mountain, move from here to there, and it would move. Nothing would be impossible. This isn't the first time Jesus says it or the last time that he will constantly come back to you. Look, nothing is impossible with God. And you don't even need that. It's not even an issue of the measure of faith. It's what is your faith actually in? Because if you had a, just a mustard seed of faith in me, an actual trust in me, you could say to the mountain, hey, bus driver, move that mountain, you know, and it would move. He tells the disciples that anything you ask and call out in my name is going to get done. He tells us earlier on, this is Matthew's account, Matthew 7. He talks about just, we have to keep asking. Keep asking and we're going to receive what we ask for. Keep on seeking and you'll find it. Keep on knocking and the door will be opened to you. And this may sound like two different, you know, completely opposite worlds of God's going to do whatever pleases him. But at the same time, you know, we, we have this opportunity to ask and to continue to ask and to persevere. And to, as we talked about in our prompt today, to be persistent in our prayer life with God, to be able to ask the bold, huge prayers of miraculous signs and wonders and blessing and healing. We are, we are called to do that. And then when you start struggling with the, well, well, is it that or is it the tension? You know, is, is it that or is it the, 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 the his will is just going to happen no matter what? My only answer to that is yes. Yes. But it doesn't stop the invitation for us to believe him for mir the miraculous and ask him for the impossible. We've been invited to do that. Like from Jesus, from God, like we've been invited to have that kind of prayer and that kind of prayer life. So how do we deal with the tension? Well, let me give you a couple things, but we're going to read together. This is from, uh, again, your card, John 12. We're going to go to chapter 12 in John. We're going to read about, this is again kind of closer to the last week of Jesus' life, best we can tell. John doesn't write chronologically, but 
he's already, Lazarus is already raised from the dead. He's kind of entering the last season of ministry, and he's talking about his death. Jesus is talking about his death with his disciples. So some Greeks who wanted to meet him came over, and Jesus is talking with them, and he starts in verse 23 of chapter 12 and says this. Now the time has come for the Son of Man to enter his glory. I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat is planted in the soil and dies, it remains alone. But its death will produce many new kernels, a plentiful harvest of new lives. Those who love their life in this world, this is where he kind of turns it to the disciples, he says, those who love their life in this world will lose it. Those who care nothing for their life in this world will keep it for eternity. Anyone who wants to to serve me must follow me because my servants must be where I am. And the Father will honor anyone who serves me. And here Jesus again gives a little glimpse. Now my soul is deeply troubled. Should I pray, Father, save me from this hour? (laughs) And he answers it's a rhetorical question because he says, but this is the very reason I came. It's for this hour that I'm here. And then he says, Father, bring glory to your name. Father, bring glory to your name. I'm not going to read it, but it continues on, and God actually speaks from heaven like a sound of thunder, and he says, oh, I I brought glory to my name, and I'm going to do it again. That'd be a cool way to have your prayer time answered, right? You know, God, just do what you're going to do, and God just shows up and goes, oh, I'm going to do it. Wouldn't that be amazing? And Jesus goes on to tell him, look, that was for you guys. That's not for me. Like, that was just to help you understand what's coming. But, but understand, guys, if you, don't, if you don't think that Jesus in his humanity had to also deal with this tension, then you're not going to know where to find the strength for you to deal with this tension. Because Jesus said, when he was deeply troubled, he says, should I pray for this, to, for God to spare me from this? Or should I pray, God, glorify your name? You know, we know that he ends up praying both. We know that he does. And yet, Jesus knew his God's will. He knew why he was there. He knew that God's will needed to be done. And it was for this very hour that I'd come. He he told us. He could have called a million angels to come down and just wipe out, you know, Rome and You know, I mean, listen, I mean, everything that could have happened, that God could have done to save Jesus would have been amazing. We would have went to that movie. I mean, it would have been amazing. But that wasn't God's plan. And so what I want you to see is there is a paradox of prayer that we have to be willing to engage in. This paradox is, is around absolute confidence. You know we love that word absolute, right? Absolute confidence. What what that means is confidence is tied to our faith. You know, Hebrews tells us our faith is the confidence of what we don't see and the assurance of what's not yet seen, right? It's the confidence of what we don't know and the assurance of what we haven't seen yet. That's our faith. So we pray with this paradox of absolute confidence, and yet we also have to continue in humility and the uncertainty that we do not have. We, we have to pray with full, absolute confidence, 
But in our uncertainty, we have to remain humble. Because God is not a genie in a bottle. He's not, his power and will is not ours to command. We are the clay. He is the potter. Does that make sense? And this paradox, again, this is not something that people enjoy living in. This is, this is, a, this is tension that people don't enjoy. And I get it. Another paradox that I love, which always reminds me of this in terms of whenever I talk to somebody about the, the struggle that they're having in this paradox, is I, 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 go, I oftentimes refer to what's called the Stockdale Paradox. I don't know how many of you guys are familiar with that. But the Stockdale Paradox, I just want to give it to you really quickly. And it was, and it was named after Admiral James Bond Stockdale. Is that the coolest name in the world? I mean, I wish my parents would have named me James Bond Dawson. That would have been amazing. But he was a, 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 a naval aviator. His, his name is, he eventually became an admiral. But he was a prisoner of war for eight years in the Vietnam War. A prisoner of war for eight years. And when he survived, when he returned, you know, in terms of conversation, here's what he said that's now been coined the Stockdale Paradox. He said this. You must never confuse faith that you will prevail in the end which you can never lose, by the way. With the discipline to confront the most brutal facts of your current reality, whatever they may be. James, and, or they call him Jim, but James would basically say, look, you, 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 you can never lose faith, hope, confidence. That things are going to work out, but you, but you couldn't just be blind to. It's not blind optimism right? Blind to the brutal, cold, hard reality that you face. This is the paradox that he, he believes helped him survive the torturing and being a prisoner of war for eight years. Many of the people that were with him did not survive. And he goes on to tell them why. Why did they not survive when he survived? Was it just will? Was it whatever? Was it just strength? No. He said the problem with blind optimism is that they kept setting themselves up for failure. They kept saying, oh, we're going to be saved by Christmas. Oh, they're going to be here by Easter. Oh, they're going to be here by Thanksgiving. And every time they weren't you know, you know, saved or, or released at that point, they were crushed in disappointment. And they began to lose hope. And that killed them. Everybody with me? Do you see how this aligns? with the Christian life, we cannot afford to lose confidence, hope, absolute faith that our God can, he will, he is able to do all that we ask or imagine. We have to face the brutal, hard reality of our current circumstances. And what I was saying, well, guys, you and I, whether we like it or not, we are tied to, tethered to, a broken, sinful, dying world. We, we are. And that reality is just as true as we are tied to being sons and daughters of the king. We are eternal citizens of heaven if you're a follower of Christ. We are tied to it. And we, we are tied to this sinful, broken world. No wonder there's tension, right? No wonder there's tension. God is not the cause 
He is not the author of sin, death, and, and everything deplorable and evil that you could possibly imagine. He's not the cause of that. He's not the cause of your cancer. Right? He's not the root of that. He's not the reason that someone, you know, abused you as a child. He, he's not, the, he's not the, the, the source behind your chronic you know, mental illness or your chronic physical problem. Like, that is not God. That's not God is not the source of those things. Nor in this world of, you know, I mean, some theological bending here, but nor does God just quote-unquote okay with or all right with the fact that somebody went in and killed nine, three nine-year-olds and three 60-year-olds at the school in Nashville. God just doesn't look at that and go, no big deal. That grieves the heart of God. Everything that's evil and sinful grieves the heart of God. He does not allow it from the way in which we would kind of view that as permission. And yet he's told us that everything is going to somehow bring about the glory of God. Everything is somehow still going to magnify his name. Everything is still going to somehow point to Jesus. Here's some ways in which Scripture talks to us about that. The prophet Isaiah tells us in Isaiah 55 that for God, he said, My thoughts are nothing like your thoughts, says the Lord. My ways are far beyond anything you could imagine. He says, Just as the heavens are higher than the earth, my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. And listen, I've had conversations with people that just go, yeah, but I don't like that. Well, he didn't ask you. You know, like he, and I'm not saying he doesn't care, but, you know, grow up, right? Like it's, that's the reason we, we don't get to think on that level. Our thoughts are not his thoughts. And here's what I know to be true. Based on everything I read in Scripture, God answers all prayers. He does. Just not with our answers. Just not with our answers. I don't know if you've ever been a, this ever been in your life, but you know sometimes I pray, and I tell God what I'd like to see, and I want you to know sometimes it happens. Okay, God shows up and He shows off, and I'm just to be honest with you. Like in those moments, for somebody who prays, I'm just like, woo! You know what I'm saying? Like it's amazing, it's unbelievable. I got to be honest with you. More often than not, God shows up and answers prayers in a way that I never even thought to ask for an answer. And then I'm like, wow, God, I didn't, that's not what I asked you to do, but that was so much better. And sometimes God shows up and answers prayers in ways that I don't even know, that will never be revealed to me. Does that make sense? God always answers prayer. It's just not always with our answer. It's just not always with our answer. Here's the way uh, Paul tells it to the church in Rome. And I referenced this last week. He says, the Holy Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. For example, when we don't even know what God wants us to pray for, but the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. This is when we're just, we're pr we don't even know the words to say, but we just groan and God hears it and understands it. He says, the Father who knows all hearts knows what the Spirit is saying. And the Spirit pleads for us believers in harmony with God's own will. And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purposes for them. 
we know that he calls, he's working all these things out together for the good of not only those who call him God, who are his children, but to his purposes, his plan, his purposes for them. We can trust in his word that that is true, even when we don't understand a specific situation and how God is doing that. I mean, I, I'll be honest, I, I look at the shooting in Nashville. You know, they targeted the pastor's daughter, who was nine years old. This is my little Charlie, he was eight. I, it, it breaks my heart for them. And, and I look at it and I go, I mean, the loss of life is so tragic. And yet, I look at it and I go, somehow, God, somehow, even in this evil, deplorable thing, you're going to be known. Like, you're, you somehow are going to get glory. And I, again, I can get stuck in it and be like, well, I don't know how. I don't know how this person dying gives glory to God. I don't know how taking grandma gives glory to God. I don't know how, you know, this person who experienced abuse their whole life from a perpetrator and never got any help, I don't know how that situation glorifies God. I'll be honest with you. I don't know either. But I can't get stuck there. Because his word tells me that no plan of his will be thwarted. That at the end of the day, guys, I'll be honest, he gave us the end of the book for a reason. Okay? And at the end of the book, it tells us that everything horrible that's going to happen is going to reveal Jesus and every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess that he's Lord. Right? He gave us the, don't be ashamed, he gave us the end of the book to go to and read for a reason. We know that. We can't, get, we can't afford to get stuck in that one situation that we go, ah, I just don't understand that. I understand. You may never understand that. God may never give you an, an acceptable reason in your mind for that to have happened. But it doesn't change that it happened. And it won't change the tension growing forward in your life. That you are called to this paradox. To pray with absolute confidence. Absolute confidence. That God can and he will and he's able. And humility that we live in the uncertain. We don't know what God's will for this person or this situation is. But we're going to say, let your name be glorified. Let your will be done. Here's an example of how Paul told the church about it. He actually, it's a little bit, it's a little bit different. Paul gives the reason he believes that he was given what was called a thorn in his flesh. This is in, uh, to, to, to the church in Corinth. He says he believes that to keep him from becoming proud, uh, I was given a thorn in my flesh. It was a messenger from Satan to torment me and to keep me from becoming proud. Paul kind of viewed this ailment, this physical issue. No, you know, There's lots of scholars that guess what it is. We don't know exactly what it is. But he said, hey, God, God did this to keep me humble. And then he goes on to say, look, three different times, I begged the Lord to take it away. And that's okay. I, you know, we're always, we can, we, if Jesus prayed for his suffering to be removed, it's okay for us to pray that way. But then, <laughs> each time, God said, this is Paul saying, God said, my grace is all you need. My power works best in your weakness. You know what that means? God said no. Right? Everybody with me? God said no. Did he answer his prayer? Yeah. He just said no. It wasn't his answer. I begged God to take it away from me. God said no. 
my grace is all you need. By the way, that, that aligns with Scripture. <laughs> that's, that's an agreement with Scripture. My grace is all you need. I work best in your weakness. So I'm going to be boast. I'm going to boast about my weakness so the power of Christ can work through me. And then I want you to see this. He says, he says this is why I can take pleasure in my weakness and in the insults and hardships and persecutions and troubles that I suffer for Christ. For when I'm weak, then I'm strong. This is how I'm able to deal with this tension. I, I, I believe God can remove the thorn, but he continues to tell me that he doesn't need to in order for him to be amazing in me. He doesn't need to remove that thorn to be all that God needs to be through Paul. Paul may not feel he's all he should be, but he doesn't need Paul to be all he can be in order for God to be all he can be through Paul. Everybody with me? And this is not just how we continue to pray, but God, why I believe God wants us, don't give up. Don't give up. I don't know where you come from. I don't know what you've dealt with. I don't know the prayers that you've, you've really felt like God has disappointed you. I don't want you to give up. I know the tension is there, and I know that we have to find a way to, to press into that, to live, and, to live and work through this paradox. But, but I don't want you to give up. And here's primarily why I don't want you to give up. I'm going to do this real quick because uh, we did this earlier in the first service. Hold on. Somebody help me. Oh, there it is. Okay. I did this in the first service too early, and, uh, and everybody, like, started choking. So I'm going to do this real, real quick now. And uh, I just don't know if it's going to work yet. Hold on. Oh, yeah, there we go. As you can tell, I'm very, very experienced in this. Okay. There we go. This is a verse that I, I go to quite often, and, and, and it's a beautiful visual for you to see. One of the reasons I tell people, don't, don't ever give up on praying and pouring your heart out to God and praying for the impossible, and don't ever give up. Why? Because of where our prayers go. So this, again, this is the end of the chapter. This is the end of the book. This is a glimpse into heaven, and we get this small glimpse in, Re in Revelation 4, where, the, you know, again, there's a scene, there's living creatures and elders, and they surround the throne of God, and there's a lamb who was slain, which is what we're celebrating here at Easter, who's worthy because of he was slain. He was worthy to take the scroll. And here's, here's what it says. It says that when he took the scroll, the four living beings and the 24 elders, they fell down before the lamb of God, and each one of them had a, a harp in their hand, just kind of representing this everlasting song that surrounds the throne of God. But then they held gold bowls filled with incense, which are the prayers of God's people. I'll be honest, like this visual to me is amazing. It won't take long for the smell to fill the room. It won't take long for, the, for you to continue to see the smoke rise. But guys, if you're a follower of Christ, that's where your prayers go. Your prayers surround the throne of God. That's what we're told. And I understand that we're, we're living in the tension of 
prayers that don't get answered, and they don't get answered our way, and and we struggle to know, you know, is this God's will? Is it not God's will? And we're going to continue to struggle with that. But what I do not want you to do is give up on praying. You, you've, you've been invited to believe him for the miraculous and to ask him for the impossible. We've all been invited into that kind of prayer life, to come into his presence in confidence, in boldness, Hebrews says. And live in the brutal reality that, that we're uncertain about so much. But we can be certain of where our prayers go. We can be certain that the prayers of the believers, of the saints of God, are in God's presence. And that he is gonna, he's going to work out his will and his plan and his purposes. Even with all the stuff we can't figure out even with all the stuff that continues to give us problems and tension. Don't give up. I hope this is a resurgence for you. Don't give up in, in leaning in, calling on heaven to do the impossible in your life. Make sure it's, again, surrender to his will, agree with scripture, glorify the name of God, tie it to the mission of, his, of your life and my life to make his name known and watch God do the impossible. That's what we're called to do. We can't get there if we give up when we start feeling this, this tension, this paradox of prayer is this. And I believe God wants to use it in and through us to pray big, bold prayers of our faith. Let's pray together now. Father God, just as the incense rises in the room, our prayers rise to you. Um, we're so thankful that you hear our prayers. God, we want to approach you with confidence that our goal is to align with your will. That's our goal. Uh, we don't always, and we admit that. We, we pray a lot of selfish prayers, God. We'll admit that. But God, continue to shift and move us in alignment with you so that we can experience the beautiful fragrance of your will and your presence in our life. God, may we be bold with absolute confidence, yet may we also be humble as we live in the uncertainty of this tension of not really knowing fully what your plans and purposes for our lives will be. We just can trust your word that you're going to work it out for the good of those who call you God, call you Lord, and the purpose you have for our lives. Give us grace in the messy middle when we just don't understand it, when we grieve it, when we experience the struggles and losses. But give us the, again, God, the agreement with your word that your grace is all we need. And we pray all this in your name. Amen.